hire somebody, even if you have to make a little bit less money, because I just think it's the best thing to do. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're just going to be working all the time, which I, I'm completely guilty of. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm happy to be joined today by Greg Salkovich. After a career as a top performing salesperson for three different companies, Greg co-founded a sales recruitment agency to combine the two things he loves most in business, sales and helping other people. In only six years, Greg grew his company organically with no outside funding to 60 employees. They reached the Inc. 5000 for fastest growing companies three consecutive years. Greg then launched a, a, a separate recruiting company, Right Choice Resources, which specifically focuses on the placement of salespeople, executives, marketing, account management, and customer success. Greg, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you having me. Awesome. So you were referred by our mutual friend, Alan Fisher. Um, what an awesome guy. Uh, he is an awesome guy. Yeah, he's, he's been on the show before, and I've met him in person, actually, as well, at the Pinnacle Conference in San Diego. Um, so if folks haven't heard that episode, it was called How to Build a Million Dollars for 10 Straight Years and Grow a Successful Team. A really interesting interview, really interesting guy. So I'm really glad that Alan connected us. So shout out to Alan. Yes, shout out to Alan. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. A big, big fan. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm a big fan too. So um, I, I'm going to start with one of the key questions I always ask to begin with, Greg, is how did you get into recruiting? Yeah, so I, I was a top performer, as you, as you mentioned earlier, in sales for, for many years and just was always very passionate about sales. I was reading sales books and learning the new techniques. And then I um, was actually laid off, took a software sales job, and it just wasn't the right opportunity for me. I could never figure out how to what my commissions were. I get a paycheck. It was like scratching a lottery ticket. I, I didn't know if it was going to be $500 or $5,000. And... Um, you know, decided that I knew that I made $1,000 per referral, any candidate that I referred in. So I just kept making money on referrals. And then I thought, you know what? I think I can make a living off doing this. I really like connecting people. I like helping people. I know that I get $1,000 for every employee I refer in. And that's where it started. And then on top of that, at that company, there was a recruiter that they used who was placing people into the company and also taking them out at the same time. Oh, that's... So he's recruiting people. That's yeah. the absolute, <laughs> so, like, golden rule of recruiting is you don't recruit from your own clients, right? I think that's exactly. horrific. That's the kind of behavior that gives our industry a bad a bad name for sure. Um I know. So that's what that's how it that's how it all started is I loved putting things together. I loved helping people. I loved the aspects of recruiting. I combined it with sales. And then I saw this recruiter who did something that I thought was very unethical. And like you said, some recruiters just don't have a strong reputation. And I saw a need to 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 do it and go into sales recruiting and and do it the right way. It's so it's, I've never heard that story before, Greg. I ask almost everyone to ask that question. And it's funny that you actually just, you were recruiting people internally. It, was, it wasn't your actual job, but you just, there was a recur, there was a referral fee. And so you just start you, you were started naturally learning how to recruit people. Exactly. I mean, I knew how to use LinkedIn yeah. because I was prospecting using ah. LinkedIn. So that's how I understood Boolean searches and things like yep. that. And then I just network a lot. So I was referring people in. I was reaching out to people cold. And I just, I love doing it. So I quit the job. And there's a guy that I knew who had a, a one-person sales consulting company. And I said, let's do this. And I literally quit my job with no job. And we agreed to work together for 90 days. We signed a 90-day contract together. Okay. 
And then I just really prayed that it worked out and I liked it because I had no income coming in. I was uh, on 100% commission. Amazing. And well, I, I'd love to hear what happened next. But first, can we just back up a second? Because you skimmed over something sure. that caught my attention was the like being laid off. Could you elaborate on that? I mean, if, if you feel it's relevant or, you know, to your journey, then uh, I'd love to understand more about that. It is relevant to my journey because it, it got me into recruiting. And also, I think when I speak to candidates and we're seeing more layoffs right now, I, I have major empathy for them because it's not just like I've sold like you. I've stood at, at trade shows for five hours like you. I've been laid off like you. And and that really helps me, in my opinion, be become a better recruiter because I've actually lived it. I give the analogy. It's like being a, you know, can you be a good basketball coach if you've never picked up a basketball before? I mean, sure. But I think it's easier if you have. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. Good, good analogy. So, yeah. So, so yeah, but with the layoff, yeah. yeah, I was at a company for four years. It was going great. Loved, loved the company. And my boss who I was, I'm very close to this day, this day. I mean, it's been almost 15 years since I reported to him. I, we keep in touch regularly. Everything was going great. And then just completely blindsided by a layoff. They, um, signed into my computer one day. I was a top performer and they just completely shut everything off. Couldn't get access into, into my computer. Um, you know, he called me, he said, I was laid off. I'm sure your next company's about to sell. And they, they let us out, let a bunch of us go. And it was, it was shocking. It was really, really tough to go into interviews and say, Hey, Mark, I'm a top performer. And they just let me go. And, you know, the hiring managers say, that's not true. That's, that's why they let you go if you're a top performer. And it was, it was really challenging. So I had to overcome it by saying, you can call anybody in the company with my permission and you can ask them and they will tell you that. So I said, I give you full authority. It's, and it was tough. And then I got, and then I got next day, I got a letter in the mail. I was hoping it was a severance check. Instead, it was a, a lawsuit letter. And not a lawsuit letter, I'm sorry, a, le a letter from, a, from, the, from their legal team saying, you cannot compete with us. You can't go into the same business. So that's, that's partially how I got into recruiting is I couldn't work in the business that I had experience in. And I had to figure something else out to do. It was a blessing in disguise. It was, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to I me. I was going to, like, well, absolutely. You, I was thinking the same thing, which is that I'm sure it was a horrible experience and, and really battering to, you know, your, um, ego, but also just, you know, scary, like in terms of it, just from a financial security point of view and everything, it must've just been a, like a, a terrible experience. And yet if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't have then gone on to build that company and to be doing what you're doing today. I'd be selling boxes and bubble wrap to this day. I mean, that was what <laughs> my background was. I still, I still look, it's been a, you know, a while, but I still, whenever I go at the store, I always have to check it out because that was what my experience was. So I, I loved the job. I loved the company. I loved my boss. And it was just a completely blindsided layoff. And uh, I had just bought a condo in downtown Chicago. I had just bought a, got a new car. So it was, it was stressful, but you figure it out. Well, thank you for, for sharing that story. And uh, that's why the show is called The Resilient Recruiter, because it is about those, you know, setbacks, which, you know, we need to be able to bounce back from, especially in recruiting. I mean, I think everybody to, to get on in life, you know, you need resilience. But, you know, boy, this is a hard job, right? This is, there's so, ma so many setbacks, disappointments, you, you know, that, if you don't have, I, I, I recently interviewed Greg Savage. I don't know if you know who that is. He's um, Australian uh, recruitment guru, really, really mm -hmm. great guy. Uh, and he called it bounce back ability. And if you don't have that bounce back ability, then 
you're probably not going to have a long, a long career in, uh, in recruiting. So I, I agree with you. And I got lucky because I, I came from a sales background. So you, you, you have to have the same resiliency. Your, your income can be all over the place. You get sometimes tough customers. You get close to a deal. You don't get it. I mean, so sales also taught me resiliency. Yeah. Oh, for nice. sure. For sure. Like sales, there's, there's, I think coming from a sales background gives you a, a head start in recruiting for sure. And we're going to talk more about that because I know that you've sure. got uh, a lot of great examples and techniques that you've applied from your sales career that have, have crossed over into, into recruiting. I do think that, um, may, I don't know if you, you, you might disagree, but I think recruiting is another level of, you know, resilience required in the sense that like all salespeople need thick skin. They need to, um, be resilient. But if you're selling boxes and bubble wrap and you do close the deal, the boxes and bubble wrap are getting shipped, right? It's not like the boxes and bubble wrap can pull out of the deal, right? That's not going to happen. <laughs> because you've got two parties, you're brokering a deal between two different stakeholders. It's that much more complex. There's more variables, more things that can go wrong. And you're dealing with, you're not selling a product, you're dealing with human beings who, you know, you know, are complex. We're, we're, and, and, you know, people may say one thing and do another, or they may change their mind or, you know, so I think that does add another dimension to it, but, um, I agree with you. Yeah, it is it, because it, it, like you said, with, with human beings, just things can, things can change. In my opinion, I, you know, with every deal, we have two customers, yeah. we have the client and we have the candidate exactly. and they're both just as important exactly. as, as each other. So yeah, it, it is tough. And obviously when I was selling packaging products, you sell a deal and you close it and you have this residual income coming in. You know, the warehouse is shipping and I'm not shipping it. And with recruiting, it's, it, you, you fill the spot and then it's on to the next, the next position exactly. that you have to work on. So I'd love to hear, so you, you had took the leap of faith, you co-founded this business, you gave it 90 days, you like told yourself, okay, I'm going to try this for 90 days and see if I like it and see if we can make something happen. So what happened in that first 90 days? Yeah, so I was talking to this this gentleman who was had a one person sales consulting company. We got to know each other, and I told him, I said, I really think we can make this work. And he said, Why would you go into sales recruiting? You know nothing about recruiting. And I said, Well, I know about prospecting. I know about using Boolean searches. I know about sales. I can speak to people. I think I can recognize good sales talent because I've I've been a top performer, and I think we should do this. And he actually suggested I don't. He said, huh. I think it's risky for you. You haven't done it. And one day I just, I don't know what it was. I got up the courage and I just went into my boss. It was not planned at my job. And I said, I don't think this job is what I'm looking for. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm going to resign. So I called this gentleman and I told him and I said, let's go into business. Let's do it today. And he goes, does it have to be today? And I go, well, I just quit. So I said, I'm, out, I'm on the streets of Chicago with a box of my stuff. And <laughs> we just made it work. Um, and I said, so, I'm, so I literally walked over to his office with a box of my desk stuff, and and we uh, we made it, we started that day. That's hilarious. And so, yeah. how did things progress from there? Because like it's it's one thing to be an individual contributor in a in a you know and and make placements, win clients, fill jobs, but you scaled to sixty people in six years, which is very rapid growth. Like that trajectory is. It, and with no investment, like that's, that's pretty insane. Like, could you talk you. a little bit about that? And you like to be Inc 5,000 and all that, like talk me through the, 
that that journey and the key milestones there because that's unusual. Yeah, it, w- it was a really a great run. I mean, we were two guys pretty much, you know, in this like tiny, tiny office um, trying to figure it out without a lot of experience. So it was just the two of us for a little while. And then he said, you know what, let's hire one more. I hired one of my, my good friends with no recruiting experience because I thought she had all the characteristics that I wanted in, in somebody. And she did great. And then it was just one at a time. And then what was happening is as we were hiring salespeople, some companies said, you know, we have great salespeople, but one of the challenges, we don't have a manager. We don't know how to manage them and hold them accountable and hold them to the metrics and so on. So then what we ended up doing is we ended up creating an outsource appointment setting division. So we did that. And I actually was also hiring internally for my company as I was hiring externally for, for clients. Um, and then after that, you know, we hired a bunch of those individuals. So they were appointment setters within our company that were setting appointments for other clients. And then some of these companies said, well, we need sales consultants too. We need, we know, we need to be taught what to do. And then we started a sales consulting division. So it was a mix between all three of those things. And it just, yeah, it just gradually grew. So it was really fun. I mean, it was fun being two guys. I was literally, I didn't even have a phone. I was like talking through my computer and making phone calls through it to, to having a 60 person office. It was really great. Wow. So let me just try and understand this. So first of all, you, you mentioned something in passing, which I wanted to dig into, which is you hired a friend. She had no recruiting experience, but you felt she had the right uh, characteristics to be successful. What were those characteristics that stood out to you? I mean, first of all, was trust. I've known her since I was a, a kid. I mean, we, we grew up on the same street, so I think trust. Um, incredibly, incredibly organized. Um, very good on the phone, very trustworthy, honest. She's not this slick salesperson. She's just, you, you talk to her and she builds instant credibility. Yeah. Uh, incredible work ethic, very smart, process-oriented. So when she does a search, she's very much, I'm going to do this first, I'm going to do the second, I'm going to do the third. So very methodical. Yeah. And uh, she was amazing. I mean, she's one of my, my closest friends to this day. We talk all the time. That's so cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And then, <clears throat> so yes. if I understand correctly, there was three divisions in the company. There was the sales recruiting, then sales consulting, which is that, did that involve training or like? MLS training, yeah. correct. So training sales teams. And then the appointment outsource appointment setting as well. Um, so you were so interesting, fantastic. And then, um, but still, like I'm, I'm still trying to grasp growing to sixty people in in such a short space of time. Like, how much of your time did you were you still making placements, or did you then just focus on managing other people making placements, or what? I did, every, I did everything. You yeah, did everything. I did. I was doing sales. I was doing. I mean, I was driving new clients for all three divisions. Okay. I was making placements for clients. I was bringing people into the company to set appointments. I mean, I was selling consulting deals. It, it, I was doing everything. And it was a lot of hours. I was going to say, like, years. that sounds... Managing the recruiters, onboarding, I mean, I was hiring, training, managing all the recruiters. Yeah. So it, it was a lot. I mean, how many hours were you were you putting in? Because that sounds like three full-time jobs. Oh, like a hundred. Yeah. Man. Yeah, literally. I mean. Yeah, no, I wasn't sleeping. I'd, I'd leave the, I'd go into the office at 7 a.m. I'd leave at midnight and um, I do it every day. So yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot. I mean, would you, looking back, would you, would you do it? Would you do that way again? Or was it worth it? Or like what? Because that sounds like the road to burnout to, in some ways, Greg. Like, it, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? 
would, would I do it again? Yes, I would. Okay. I mean, it was, it, I, I would say I would do it again. Yeah. So I wouldn't have changed it. At the time, we, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we were trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I didn't really know better. I was, I was trying to figure out. So, you know, would I recommend it for somebody else? No, because I, I completely agree with you. It's a road to burnout. It's interesting. Well, I mean, it's, it's still quite an achievement for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yes. So, so then you went on to start your current business and uh, obviously that's what we'll spend the, the majority of the time talking about today. Cause that's the, you know, that's, that's your current passion and, and what you're focused on, um, at the moment. So like what, since you, what, what year did you found this business, Greg? So it was six years ago. So it was 2017. Okay. Awesome. So 2017. And what do you feel have been some of the, you know, the keys to your success. I know when you and I have spoken previously, you there's a lot of the early experience and training that you had in sales that you've found very applicable to recruiting. But uh, would, could you just expand on why you feel that you've been successful doing what you're doing? I I believe a lot of it has to do with the, with a sales background and just being able to apply those principles and and always trying to help people. That, that's one thing that I really pride myself on. So a lot of the candidates that we get are through referrals. A lot of the clients we get are through referrals. I mean, I haven't cold called in over 10 years because it's just taking care of people. I mean, just the other day I referred, I mean, actually it was just this morning, I referred somebody, I saw somebody post on LinkedIn and they want to hire a sales manager. I referred one of my friends that I know and he's great. And I said, I'm not looking for recruiting fees. So I, so I think a lot of it has to do with that. It's like, I'm always looking to help. It's not, I'm not just in it to make money. Obviously, it's nice to make money and, and you have to pay your bill. But I think a lot of that is, is, uh, has to do with it. I mean, another quick story that I'll, I'll tell you is I had one guy who had a really hard time with his company and it was a kind of like a bad divorce from his company. And we knew each other through networking. I helped him find a job with a COO job. I made nothing out of it. I made a con call to a contact. I said, I have this phenomenal guy. I said, I'm not looking for any type of fees. I mean, keep in mind, this would probably be a $50,000 placement. So it would have been big. And I referred him in. They hired him. I got nothing out of it. I mean, he's now hired us for three different companies. So I think just by always doing right, I didn't do it in hopes of getting something out of it. But I just, you know, you do the right thing and you try to help people. That, that's what happens, in my opinion. And then just as far as like hiring people, um, I've, I've, I've never hired based on resumes. I've always hired people who I know, who I like who I want to work with, who I think are coachable. Um, I like that they come from a sales background, ideally, or somebody that I know knows them. So for example, like we talked about Alan Fisher a little bit earlier, like if Alan Fisher said, Greg, you have to talk to this person, they're amazing. Those are the type of people I usually hire. Usually they're not people completely cold that I've never talked to. I usually am able to get a lot of background on them. Yeah, okay, so that is interesting. I'd love to delve into that. Um, before we do, so you said, obviously, the focus on helping people and I think most, well, not, let me, let me rephrase that. Cause I know there's, there's good, there's amazing human beings. And then there's bad actors in our industry, same as, same as any <laughs> industry, but yeah, perfectly most said. of the recruiters that I associate with are like-minded with you, right? Like they, they, they're money motivated and they're also focused on helping people, having a positive impact on people's lives and, and making a difference in the world. So but how does that um, how does that factor in like on a day to day basis, like in your thought process, in your decision making? Is there a key question that you ask yourself or a, a value system that you 
and your team members uh, align yourselves with? Like, how do you ensure that that is a consistent thread that links everything that you guys do? Yeah, well, I mean, I think hiring people that we know and can trust and we know are ethical. Yeah. I think that that's huge. I mean, the you know, one of the, I'll give you an example, the last recruiter I hired, um, I've known her for years and I know a million people that know her. I know her last two bosses. So to bring her in is, is pretty safe because I know that she's yeah. just going to do the right thing. So I would say that that's, um, that's really a big thing. And I always tell my team, I said, if you have to think about if something's ethical or not, then it's not ethical right, in my right. opinion, Good usually, point. right? So I say, yeah, if you have to ask me, and then that means it's in the gray. And if it's in the gray, I don't, I think that you, you err on the side of being, being honest and being ethical. So that, that's who I've really focused on hiring. And to me, you know, I hire character first yeah. and skill second, right? Or rag. Some people might, might disagree, nope, but um, I just want, agree. yeah, but, but, um, I'd rather teach somebody who I, who I like, who I know is going to do the right thing. That's going to represent our brand well than to hire a top performer. That's just going to make us look bad and, and put a bad rep on our, on our, on our industry. Yeah. And not and only that, but also disrupt your team as well. You know, someone like that, who's, you know, yeah. So I'd love to delve into this, Greg, because, um, so how many people have you got in the team right now? So we have seven. So seven, is that including you or? That's including me, correct. All right. And then of those, how many are fee earners and how many are sort of support staff? So everybody, so I'm, I do all the selling. Okay. Um, five of them only recruit. Okay. And then one of them who starts next week will be more like a COO. Okay. Ah, so he's going to be, yeah, because he's going to be taking off a lot of the things like dealing with clients and new business development and helping with the operations and the financials and adding more processes. Yeah. Right now, also for your, for your listeners, I've always done everything. And Alan Fish and I talked about this too. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it is everything. I mean, it is selling, it is closing deals, it's recruiting, it's hiring, training, managing, it's doing the accounting. I mean, we have a firm that does it, but I work with them. Right now we're redesigning the website. So it's all that. And I, like you said, it, it's, it's, a, it's a road to burnout. So, so, so for those that are listening, I would say hire somebody, even if you have to make a little bit less money, because I just think it's the best thing to do. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're just going to be working all the time, which I, I'm completely guilty of. It's why I'm hiring this gentleman on, on, on uh, starting Tuesday. Okay, this is getting really interesting, Greg, because um, there's a few things I want to follow up on there. One is hiring a CEO sort of ops person, which I've done, which I know Alan Fisher has done. Yeah, sir. And so I definitely want to talk, to, talk about that because I don't think we're promoting that to our coaching clients that if you want to scale you know, and you're not, well, look, I, I won't get too much into it because I want to park that for a second uh, and we'll circle back to it. Before that, I wanted to talk about your hiring strategy because um, this ironically is the challenge that recruiting firm owners tell me is one of their biggest challenges if they want to grow is I can't find good people or I hire someone and they don't work out and it just wastes time and money. I could have just, you know, made more placements you know, it's, it's, it set me back rather than taking me forward. And, mm -hmm. um, your philosophy is really interesting where who do we already know, or who do I already know that they might not even have recruiting experience, but I know their character. I know their work ethic. I know their values. And, um, you know, that's the sort of person I want to work with. And it's, or you maybe don't know them personally, but you know, someone who knows them. 
and you've got that got that reference, then that's such a strong, you know, of course, it doesn't guarantee everyone's going to work out, right? But sure. it takes them, you know, often if you're recruiting someone and you, they don't know you, you don't know them, and you just go through an interview process, it's a bit like dating, isn't it? Like you're, you only get part of the picture. You never know until someone really starts, you know, you don't, like until you move in with someone, you don't That's really right. know like, <laughs> if you're compatible and if this thing is going to, is going to work out. And because, um, of course, in an interview, people are, you know, they're presenting their best side of themselves. So I think that's smart. And I, w I just wonder if our listeners are doing that. It sounds obvious when you say it, but, you know, often sometimes the, the obvious gets overlooked. So I agree with you. Yeah, there's some people I call them professional interviewers and they can go in there. There's one in particular I'm thinking of who will go in and he'll blow everybody's socks off and he is just, he is well-dressed. He is in great shape. He looks like a movie star. He does all the right things. He knows how to overcome objections. He's just, he is just one, maybe the best interview I've ever seen, but he doesn't deliver. Right. And, and, and that's why I think having these, these backdoor references are, are so important. So, you know, one of the, the, um, one of my recruiters who's, who's a really, really incredible, you know, she worked with my wife. She worked for one of my friends. I shared an office with her for a brief period of time because we split office when I first started. So I, I know so much about her. So the chances, to your point, of her not working out, of course, anything's possible. But the chances when I hired her were so slim because I, I knew I had so much background on her. So that's not to say I hire somebody that I didn't know. But I think it's less risky if you can either know them or you know people well that know them. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. Totally. And I suppose like if, if you're hiring someone who's not recruited before, there's no guarantee they're going to like this because it's not for everybody, right? So I guess that's the risk is, are they are they're right for your business and you would feel happy putting them in front of your customers, but are they going to work out long-term? I guess you never, you never really know that, but at least you know, they're not going to damage your reputation. They're not going to undermine you. They're not going to, they're most likely they're still going to pay for themselves. Even if, you know, they're not a long-term hire, it's not going to have set you back. Exactly. I mean, and, and I actually had one last year. And I hired her and I think she was still trying to figure out what she wanted to do. And we talked about recruiting. I don't think it was ever in her mind. She was recommended to me. I knew her former boss who had really great things to say. 
And she was really good and really, really smart. And then she decided she wanted to go to law school. So I had her for six months and she left. And it's, and it's tough because especially as a small business owner, I have to be the one that trains her yep. from scratch. And then she was finally getting the hang of things really well. And then she left. Yep. So the reverse can happen too. Like you said, sometimes they don't know what they want. Sometimes they go into it and say, you know what? I don't love recruiting. And I think a lot of them, at least from my perspective, I don't think they realize how similar it is to sales. A lot of people that I talk to who want to get into recruiting say, I love HR. And I'm like, no, it's not HR. It's <laughs> right. not HR. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, I love to help people. And I'm like, well, you do get to help people, but this yeah. this is a tough job. This is not just like talking to your friends all day. And I, I think that's the, uh, the misconception sometimes of people yeah. who don't want to get into recruiting. So I always have to very you know, emphasize that where you're going to be on the phone a lot. Yeah. You have to talk to people. People are going to ghost you. You're going to have a great candidate who rescinds on the offer. <laughs> like there's, you have to be ready for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting because like um, one of our clients, the way that he, part of his interview process is, I think the second interview, he'll get the candidate to sit beside him and he'll sit there and make, make cold calls and, you know, let them listen and 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 watch the process. And then like, and then ask them like, does this, this is what the job is, is does this look like something that you would be happy to do? And at that's a pretty, in that they're either like, yeah, absolutely, that, I'm up for that. Or, oh, I didn't, wasn't expecting that. I didn't know that that was required. And, and so maybe this isn't for me, but he finds out before they start. Um, we have another guy, uh, another client, Paul Warner, who's actually been on the podcast before. So shout out to Paul. And what he does is he takes it one step further. So he actually gives the can the candidate. This is an internal hire, right? Mm -hmm. He gives them his phone. He gives them a, a a script, and he gives them a prospect list, and he says, "Okay, go for it." And um, <laughs> which is pretty brutal. I don't know, yeah, like how most people would would probably faint if you ask them to do that, but. Uh, it's worked really well for him. Like he he hired a guy, Jesse, who had no recruiting experience, but he had been an appointment setter. He'd been a, you know, a high volume outbound salesperson, but no recruiting experience. And he gave him that task. And Jesse set, I think, four or five appointments during his interview. Incredible. Which led to business. So he kind of had to hire him then because the guy won business before he even Incredible. started. But anyway, I'm going off on a, on a tangent. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And now there's so many, we have a client who actually makes people set appointments during their interview. So they do the same thing. They're like, here's yeah. a script. Here's some prospects. Call them. If, if you set three appointments, we'll move you to the next round. Not, we'll give you an offer. You move to the next round. And it, it's, that per, there's nothing wrong with it. It's completely perspective. A little intense for me, but. It is intense. <laughs> and actually, I, I would change one thing. I, I don't really even care if they get any appointments or not, because a lot of that's luck. Like we know absolutely, you're, you could make 50 calls and not actually speak to anyone, right? Depends on, and it, I think it's unfair to say you have to set three appointments because they don't know your industry, they don't know your business, they don't, you know, but what you're, I think what you're really testing there is courage, you know, self-motivation. Are they willing to do something hard and, 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 uh, and scary? Um, are they just have that attitude where they're up for trying stuff? And even if they don't know what they're doing, they're willing to, to, to try. And I think that is more what you're measuring. And then you're also getting to hear how they come across on the phone and 
how they present themselves, how they articulate themselves. So I don't I even really think it matters if they get any appointments. It's more the you're you're hearing them and you're seeing their attitude. That's the main thing. I completely agree with you. And and having worked with a bunch of salespeople, because because my last company did appointment setting, it, it's also interesting to see. Hence the name of your podcast. You know, the resiliency. I right. mean, there's some people that get hung up on and they go and they tell everybody in the area and, oh my gosh, this person was so rude and this and, and, and there was one salesperson in particular where he'd like laugh about it and he'd just go on to the next and you want to see the latter of somebody that says, says nah, you know, it's going to happen and, and on to the next, not somebody that's going to have to take a 20 minute break every, every time something goes wrong. That's hilarious. I actually used to, um, I used to teach, like I had a whole course on cold calling and, you know, mm-hmm. opening call, getting past gatekeepers back in the day when that was a, that was like a thing, uh, you know, opening calls effectively, asking good questions, overcoming objections and so on. And, but a huge part of it is mindset. And we used to like, uh, I used to teach different techniques for making it more fun and just not taking stuff personally. And so one of those techniques I called the Fonz technique, which mm-hmm. if you're, old enough, you remember the fawns from happy yeah. days. And he would go, hey, like nothing could bother the fawns, right? He was too cool. And so they, yeah. the, the idea was someone hangs up on you, someone's rude to you. You say, have a great day. Thanks for your time. Hang up. Hey, no problem. And then make the next call. So um, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We, we try to have fun with it. But um, the other thing I was going to tell you I do during interviews yeah. is I have them shadow to, to your point, all the recruiters. So I have them speak to, to multiple recruiters. And uh-huh. one of the things I tell them, not only to shadow, so they can make sure they like the job, but I always tell my recruiters, I said, what you what you tell them stays between you and them. I said, I will never ask you. I don't want to hear it. I said, the only thing I'm going to ask you is if you recommend that we hire them. That's okay. the only question I'm going to ask. And if you think, I always say this, I go, I have my, my little speech. I always say, if you think I'm the worst boss ever, I said, tell them I'm the worst boss ever. I said, I don't want to mislead people. I want you to tell them the challenges of the job. I want you to tell them the good parts. I want, I said, same thing with the company. So I don't ask my recruiters to spill the beans and say, what did you talk about? I specifically tell them, I don't want to hear it. Like you, you just tell me thumbs up, thumbs down. Did you like them? Should I bring them on or not? Okay. I like that. That's interesting. I love the idea of having them meet multiple people um, in the business because they get different perspectives on what the job is like, what the company's like, what is, you know, what the culture is like. And you also then you get feedback and different opinions from people who you uh, you trust and you you value um, and who know you and know the business. Do you think this person is is right for us? So I think yeah, that's a that's a brilliant strategy, Greg. I can't help notice that your growth, uh, like if you look at sixty people in six years versus mm-hmm. six people in six years, your growth is a lot. Uh, slower this time around. And I'm wondering what your, I'm, I'm assuming that's intentional. Like what's your um, strategy here? Well, you know, my, my current company, we only do recruiting. Yep. So the other company did multiple things. Sure. I, you know, to me, it, my goal has never been to build like an empire. It's never been to, Hey, I want to build a, a hundred person plus recruiting company. It's just, I want a, a nice lifestyle business. I want to, relationships are really important to me. I want to get to know my team. I want to, I mean, we have a personal like relationships, right? I mean, we, one of my recruiters posted recently on LinkedIn and she goes, all my one-on-ones every week start with what am I doing this weekend? 
you know, asking me about my family. And I, I love that. I love having that relationship with my employees. Yeah. So that's been really the goal is to, to be able to have a nice lean company. We're seeing a lot of companies lay off because I think they overspent. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we keep it, we keep our team pretty small. It's also the you know, quality control. I mean, as, as, as you know, now that the size of the company is really easy to control quality right now. Yeah. I can look at resumes before they're submitted. I can help the recruiters. So that's why I, I do do what I do. I mean, the goal, the goal, like I said, it's never been to scale the company to 60 plus employees. That, that's not my goal. If it happens, it happens. But yeah. that's not a, a big goal for me at all. I understand. And um, let's then talk about the operations COO role because it's so funny that I wasn't expecting this conversation to go this way today. Sure. But right now in our coaching community, we have, I think, three people who are hiring or have recently hired uh, an operations manager, director, COO, whatever level, but it's that type of person. And so I'd love to hear what your thought process is, why you feel that's going to benefit you um, rather than just continue to try and do all those things yourself. That's a great question. I, yeah, I've been doing it my, by myself for 12 years and I've, I've never really had help and it's it's been exhausting i mean yeah. it's been an amazing ride but it's been exhausting and i like to have my recruiters focused on recruiting i mean that's what keeps the lights on and not worrying about doing side projects and onboarding employees and dealing with maybe a tough client which i know is going to wear them down a little bit so that's why i decided to hire somebody in operations is that i have my recruiters recruiting i'm doing everything else and to do everything else is just it's a lot. Yeah. I just need a help. I just need a helping hand. Yeah. My, my sister, who's also recruiting, she was asking me and she goes, um, and she works for about a 125 person recruiting company. Okay. And she goes, who's your, do you have sourcers? No. Do you have an account manager? That's me. You know, who helps your recruiter sourcing? I do the sourcing for them. I help them with it. And she goes, okay. She goes, who does your account management? Um, well, I do. Who deals with their clients? I do. Who does the sales? I do. Who, what about your accounting? Me, that's me. Who's, who's organizing your website? I know you're doing a new website. Oh, I'm dealing with that. And my sister's like, Greg, we have like a whole team that does the job of you. And she's, <laughs> right. like, and she's like, and she goes, are you recruiting too? And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm also recruiting. And she's like, and she goes, it's, it's too much. She goes, you need, you need help. So, and we have a- She has um, got a point. What's your sister yeah, called? She has a very, yeah, she has a very valid point. What's so, your sister's name? Marnie. Marnie. So shout out to Marnie. Good advice yeah, for Greg. Yeah, yeah very absolutely. good advice from Marnie. Yeah, very good advice. Um, so, um, so, so that's what made me. We, we used a business coach to help my team. So we're all yeah. very comfortable with him. We've worked with him for years. And then finally, we just, we just made it happen. And then the, the other thing that I was really focused on is I wanted to hire somebody who was experienced. I mean, our team is, um, most of them have, you know, five to 10 years of experience. Mm -hmm. And I wanted somebody who's, who can have those executive conversations. So the gentleman that we, we hired is, is, you know, has been around, you know, he's been, he's in his early sixties right now. So, so, cool. um, you know, being able to have those executive conversations and helping the team and having experience to me was really, really important. Amazing. Yeah. I have only laterally, how old are you, Greg, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. 44. 44. Okay. So you're still young. I'm, I'm 50. Um, <laughs> Much and, older than uh, me. I actually tried to do everything myself for so long and um, it really hampered my growth, my development, and also my just fulfillment of 
what I do and um, led to like just a lot of frustration. And things really turned around for me when I started growing a team, and especially with my first. So actually hire number two. So hire number one was Rachel. Uh, hire number two was Leanne. And Leanne came on as the COO. And that was a revelation because all the things that I was, that I'm crap at, that, you know, um, I just kind of forced myself to do or muddled through, uh, took time away from me focusing on the things that I'm great at, right? That's right. So, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's like night and day. It's such a, such a huge change. And, um, there's a book that we recommend It's called traction by, oh, yeah. do you know that one? Yes. Uh -huh, absolutely. Uh, and, um, yeah, that we, we really got a lot out of that in terms of understanding that often there's two, um, leaders in the business. You've got the visionary who's like the, usually the founder, you know, has the big ideas often is like the lead salesperson or good at dealing with major accounts or key partners or whatever, but they don't always have the follow through, the attention to detail, the kind of completion of tasks. They like start things and then don't finish them, then start something else. And they're always changing sure. and telling the team, oh, we're going to do this today. And then the next week, it's like, oh, we're going this direction. And then the the integrator is in the, in the language of this book is the person who um, actually is able to deliver, to drive projects, to effect change, to see things through. And they both have strategic, you know, they're both able to operate strategically, but they just complement each other. And so that's definitely what we've created here at Recruitment Coach. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And Alan Fisher and I were talking about the same thing. And he has somebody who his, is his right person who he just swears by. I've talked to her. She's, she's amazing. And yeah, it just, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Even we were talking recently and even, <clears throat> you know, we, I was looking at our accounts and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going out getting new business and it's hard to find new business. Yeah. And then we have all these accounts over that we've accumulated over the years. And I'm thinking, how hard am I hitting those? Well, not that hard because I just don't have the time. I mean, yeah. I, I'm doing a mediocre job. I don't think I'm doing a, a, as, as good of a job. I could be looking at their websites and being insane. I see you have these five positions open. Can yeah. we recruit for it? Um, I just did it with one company. They gave us five positions. And I, that was just with one. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, if I did this with, with a bunch of them, I could probably get a lot more and yes. you know, stuff like that. I just, I just don't have the time for, yeah. I mean, I'm, I can't work any more hours unless I just, you know, never sleep. Yeah, exactly. You've been there and done that. So yeah, I'm still doing it. Yeah, okay. That's why I hired somebody. <laughs> good call. Good call. Hey, you mentioned the idea of, um, just, it is a decision, make less money in the short term but also enjoy your job more and have more freedom and, and time, right? Because, sure. <clears throat> and, and that's definitely been my decision. Like I, we're, we're, we're growing our team. So there's three of us in the UK and there's four of us in the Philippines right now. We're just Great. about to hire uh, another person. We're looking for a full-time video, a videographer basically. Um, and so that'll be four of us here in the UK. Obviously, you know, every time I hire a new person that reduces our profits in the, in the short term, I mean, that's an investment, right? So that's right. you'll get a return eventually, but in the short term, it means that instead of giving myself a raise, paying myself more at the end of the month, I'm giving that money to somebody else, which I think a lot of 
business owners who have never scaled, they just don't understand that. They're like, but why would I hire all these people? I can just keep that money, right? I know. But the way I think of it is I am buying my time back. That's right. So I just, uh, Greg, took a two-week vacation recently for the first time in 20 years and completely switched off. I've never been able to do that before. I've and never done that. I can't do that. Yeah. That's yes. why I hire somebody. Exactly. exactly. Not yet. Yes. Exactly. Not yet. <laughs> um, so I personally would rather, I, I believe the money is going to come, right? And um, But in the short term, I'd rather earn a little less and 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 create freedom because why be an entrepreneur if you have no freedom and you're actually working twice as hard as when you're an, an employee? That doesn't really make sense. Exactly. I mean, if I made $100 million a year and I don't get to enjoy it, then what's the point of making $100 million a year? There, there's, there's zero point. Exactly. But uh, yeah, but you made a, a great point earlier, Mark. And my, my uncle who mentors me and we're very close, he always says to me, I remember when I first started the business, I said, hiring this person is going to cost me X. And he said to me, he goes, Greg, don't ever say cost. He goes, ah. he goes uh, employees should never cost you anything. He goes, employees are investment. And he said, so, so if they're costing you something, he said, if, if it's $100,000 to have them employed at your company and they're not making you any money, then, then they cost you $100,000. But he goes, but if they make you $50,000, then they, they didn't cost you anything. So I, I always try to use that terminology. So even making this decision, I'm thinking, you know, it's an investment. And, you know, it's, and uh, I think the return on investment is going to be good. I think in the long term, financially, it's going to be good. Yeah. And even if I make the same or a little bit less, if I can free up 10 hours a week to be able to whatever, I yes. mean, it could be sleep or watch TV or just <laughs> relax a little bit more, then it's, then it's an amazing investment, in my opinion. And yeah. I wish I would have done it sooner. I, I had the mentality that you described for a very long time. And it was just like, why should I hire somebody when I could just keep it? I can do this job. It's not hard for me. I've done it for over a decade. It, but things just add up and add up and add up. And then you just, you're just working all, all the time. Exactly. And it, so that's a good point. Because I used an example where there's a lot of things I'm not good at. And I wanted somebody else to come in who, who's strong at that. But you, But actually... Maybe people are like you and they're like, yeah, but I'm good at that. I can do all that stuff. But just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should be the one who's doing it, right? Th that's right. And it took me a while to, to feel that way. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're, you know, as a business owner, in my opinion, usually you're probably going to be the best at most things because that's why you're the business owner and the employees are the employees usually, not always. But you, ha you can't, in my opinion, you can't have that mentality. You have to say, hey, I'm going to have to offload some of these things. And maybe I do it on a scale of 1 to 10 to 10. And they, maybe they do it at 8. But otherwise, I'm going to be chained to my desk the rest of my life. And it exactly. doesn't matter either. And, you know, and we, we have very capable employees that can do a really good job. I mean, I think most companies do or else they, they won't be there. So I think exactly. you need to offload, start off offloading some things. 100%. And the thing is, you may be good at all those things. Let's say theoretically. I'm definitely not. But let's I'm not say, either. Let's I'm say either. you are good at all those things, but do you enjoy them all equally? Are you like, is that in the zone where you feel like you're making the biggest impact that you can for your company, for your clients, for your employees? Because, you know, again, like maybe there's things you're good at, but you should still delegate them because you're just not super passionate about those things. But maybe somebody else, the things that you're kind of like, I can do that and I'm good at it. But it doesn't like light me up, but maybe to somebody else, that's the part that they love, right? And so imagine how the company performs if everybody is 
doing the thing that they are best at and that they they are actually they enjoy most. Exactly, and I think when you're you're the you're doing what you love. I think you do the best job of it. I mean, there is a definition of sales, which is the transfer of enthusiasm. I think when you're enthusiastic, that really shows. I think it shows yeah. in, in how you work. I think it shows to your candidates. I think it shows to your clients. So, so to me, that's, that's really, really important. Fantastic. Um, Greg, you, when we spoke previously, you, you gave a few other examples of <clears throat> um, transfer, how your sales background has just applied so well to recruiting. Do you have any other uh, examples of that? Yeah, so I treat every candidate call like a sales call. And one thing, yeah. like you said earlier, Mark, where you said, well, some people, some recruiters have bad reputations. I also want to make sure that I don't give recruiters a bad reputation or salespeople a bad reputation because both have them. It's interesting if you go on Google and you put recruiters are. Yeah, it's I've interesting seen to that. see the autofill. Yeah, it's interesting to see yeah. the autofill, like dishonest and all this other stuff. That's the last thing that we want to be. So, you know, when I do put on my, my sales hat, I always am very, very honest with them. And one thing that I always do is I don't just say, you know, this opportunity is rainbows and sunshine and kittens. Like I always try to, and I, it's not that I say anything negative. I'll say, I'll give you an example. I might say, you know, Mark, if, if you're looking for a big corporate company with a rapid advancement, with a clear path, this is probably not the right opportunity. So I, I do that to build credibility and because it's honest and that, and that's very, very important to me. So I don't just go with uh, with all the goods. I always say, like, here's the goods. Here's some things just to be aware of. It's not the negatives, but it's just things that might not be a fit for you. So I always do that to build credibility. Um, I always build rapport with people, at least the ones that want to build rapport with me at the beginning. And we could talk about anything. It could be something on their LinkedIn, the fact that I know they like football, they went to a college and I'm familiar with. So so usually I use build rapport. But yeah, the, the biggest thing that, um, you know, that I'll do when I... I you know, I told you this example um, a little bit earlier is, you know, I had one candidate and he was interviewing with one of our clients and he got a job from Salesforce and he was all excited because he, our client is a little company. And I said to him, and he goes, Greg, I'm going to drop out. It was like two hours before the interview. So I said, you know, John, if you drop out right now, it doesn't reflect real well on either of us. I said, it's two hours before the interview. I said, I understand you have this offer and you're excited, but I'll make a deal with you. If you're open to going to the interview, I said, it's only going to be an hour. And if you don't like it, get in the car, sign the offer with Salesforce. I said, and I promise you that if you reach out to me in the future, I said, I will do whatever I can to help you. I said, I will send you to interviews. If we have open positions, I'll refer you to other recruiters in my network. If there's a company you're trying to get into, I said, I said, is that fair? And he goes, that's fair. So long story short, he ended up going to the interview. He got the job. He ended up liking it more than Salesforce. He picked it. And then in three years, he tripled his income. So wow. using those, those, that language, like, is that fair? Are you, you know, would you be open to it? Sometimes like the language I'll use, if let's say you seem hesitant to go to an interview, I'll say, Mark, it's a first date. It's not a marriage. And so I'll use like kind of that language. I'll say, you know, all, all I'm asking is, are you open to having an initial 30 minute phone call to learn more? I don't work for the company. I have limited information. And if you don't like it, then drop out. That's completely fine. And I promise you, I'll keep it, keep in touch with you in the future. You know, would you be open to that? Is that fair? I'll say that a lot. So th that's the type of language that I, that I, I like typically it. use to just to, to, to try to get people into the, to, the interviews. Um, another thing that people do a lot, which I'm sure you see too, is they'll say, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not looking for a job right now. And it's yep. like, well, yes, you are. Cause you answered my, my message. <laughs> 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 so I'll, I'll also talk to them about that. I might say something like, um, 
you know, Mark, completely understand. Sounds like you have a great opportunity. You know, I'm curious how, how I'm sure you're bombarded by messages. How, how many messages do you get from recruiters per day? And they say, you know, I get five. And I'll say, I'm curious what media responds to, to this one. And, uh, you know, what would, it, to make your job perfect, what would you need? So it's asking just, it's really just, you know, when I say selfmanship, it's really just asking questions and, and listening and, and then using those, those answers to, to try to explain why the position you have might be a good fit for. And that's, that's to me what it is. Definitely. And I, I love the, the language you're using, which is not pushy. And I think that's the key is like some people who don't understand sales, they think it's about manipulating people or pushing them to do things. And you're asking questions and you're doing it in a very gentle manner. And um, it's very elegant because then people can relax. They don't feel like you're trying to push them into something they don't want to do. Right. And it is disarming to people when you have that kind of um, that kind of style. Greg, what, uh, wh where's, where's the business going from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a new COO starting, so that will be, yeah. that will be really exciting. But you know, my, my, my goal is just to run a lifestyle business. I mean, my goal is to, to, you know, to keep this company, I would say probably 15 employees at the most, be able to know everybody. And you know, I have no intentions of, of selling. So some people like you will, will, will ask me, like, is your goal, what's your goal? And is it to scale it? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not looking to, you know, uh, cash out this business. It's just to, to have a, a nice lifestyle business where I have flexibility, where I can be an entrepreneur and enjoy what I do and, and do it till I decide to retire, which will probably be never. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that, you know, it's funny. Um, we were watching a, a show a couple of nights ago about the blue zones in the world, the parts of the world where people live to a hundred or more. And like Sardinia is one of those places. Uh -huh. Um, Okinawa is another place. So where there's a high, a disproportionate number of, um, of people who are a hundred years old and they don't retire. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's a lot of factors. It's like diet and connection and yes. belonging and, 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 uh, you know, they're, they're not eating excessively and they're, they're, they're very active. But one of those things is they, um, like if they're a farmer or, uh, you know, whatever their job is, they just, they just keep doing it. They don't actually ever stop. I, Abby, I'm the same way. I, I don't think, I remember I was in my, um, visiting my wife at her company and one of her coworkers who I knew said to me, the mega millions was like $150 million. And she said to me, she goes, Greg, if you won the mega millions today and she goes, what would you do? And my wife says, you would never know the difference. He would come into work the next day like he never won it. And it's true because I, I just, I love what I do. And I love being an entrepreneur. I love the recruiting industry. Um, like I said, my goal is, is, to, is to, to do this business. It's not to cash out. I had a um, one guy come into me and he's like, Greg, I'll completely fund everything. He goes, you can hire a bunch of people. And I was like, that would be neat, but that's not, that's not what I want. I mean, I want to run, run my own show. And what I love yeah. about recruiting too is that you know, if you, you know, when, when you do come close to retirement age is that you can, if you want to, you can be a one person company and you can do occasional placements and you run a, a very low overhead business. And that's to me, one of the other beauties about recruiting. Exactly. You could, you could do this forever pretty much. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Greg, listen, it's been fun. I enjoyed this one. Thank you so much for being on the show and, uh, look forward to catching him again. Yes, Mark. Thank you so much again. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks so much. 
thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.